Man, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to be spending all of our time this morning toggling between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 as we continue our series entitled Rescuing the Christian Family. And that's what my prayer is. My prayer is that God would rescue families. We know that even in the church, the divorce rate in these days is over 50%. That means over 50% of the time, the enemy is successful in keeping men's focus off of God's intent for the family, and destroying what God has put together. And so as we preach this series entitled Rescuing the Family, I think it fitting that we go all the way back, all the way back to an ancient source, an account of where the family began. We know that science, if they really want to research something, they spend lots of money and lots of effort going back and excavating archaeological sites to find out hopefully the truth about these people groups or, or these scientific theories uh, so that they can prove themselves and what they think to be right. What I want to do today is I want to go back to the most ancient account of the family to prove that God is right in His idea of the family. I want us to go and to return to an ancient source, to the Word of God. In fact, we know this. We know Moses, led by the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit quickened him to write these things, accurately gives us the account of creation. He gives us the account of every element of creation, but he also gives us the account of the creation of man, the creation of woman, and the account of the first union that God made between woman and man. And I believe this. I believe if we're going to see God rescue families in the country that we live in in the midst of all the confusion about what a real family is and what it ought to look like and how it ought to operate, we need to go back and look at what God's Word teaches about the family. And as we look at this, we see quickly that the family or marriage, as we know, leads to the family, was the first human institution given by God. Marriage is the first human institution given by God. A gift from God to man. And I want us to go all the way back to that first gift where man was given by God, his wife, from his own flesh. That they might dwell together and serve each other and serve the Lord for His glory and His praise. Long before... God ever made a covenant with Abraham, God ordained the family. Long before God ever gave the law to Moses and the Israelites, God ordained the family. Long before Jesus Christ came to this earth to offer Himself as a sacrifice for sinful man, God ordained the family. As we look at the family today in a biblical context, it is the most ancient institution in humanity that God has made. And if we are going to uncover the reality and the truths of the family according to the Word of God, we are going to have to go back to that source. We are going to have to go back to creation. Now immediately, many people would say, what in the world does creation have to do with the family? I'm going to show you in Genesis chapter 1, we know that God gives each day what He created through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as Moses recounts these events for us as He pens them. From the first day of creation all the way to the seventh day, God lets us know everything that He's doing. And on the sixth day, we're going to see that He creates man in His own image. And in His image, He created man, both male and female. Now, there's something specifically important about the sixth day because in chapter 2, he's going to zero in on exactly what happened on the sixth day. Many people have said these are two different accounts. No, they're not. One is a timeline account and one is a close examination of certain things that God wants you to see. And you're going to see today one reason that he highlights the family in all of his creation is because when Jesus was on this earth, he referenced the family. 
Also, the prophets would reference the family. And we're going to see Malachi actually talks about the family and how the family was not being blessed because they weren't where they needed to be in the eyes of God. In fact, God was not receiving their offerings because they had forsaken the wife of their youth. And so as we look at these things, we see very quickly that if we're going to get a clear picture of the original family, we're going to have to go back to Genesis. So y'all read with me. We're going to read chapter 1 of Genesis. Verses 36 through 26, excuse me, through 31. And then we are going to go to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we're going to be focusing this morning on verses 15 through 25. And as I've told you, we'll toggle back and forth between the two. One is that brief overview, one is that close microscopic examination of actually what happened. We're going to look at that together. And so in verse chapter 1, excuse me, verse 26, in reference to the origin of the family. It says this, then God said, let us, underline that in your Bible, you'll find that interesting in just a while. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. That's for all of you people who think that evolution somehow holds any kind of water, that Darwinism would even remotely be close to the truth. It's not so. He goes on and he says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea. All the fishermen said, Amen. And the birds of the air and the duck hunters, they said, Hallelujah. And then he goes on and he said, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's for the white-tailed deer hunters. Verse 29 says, Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I will give Every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. And we see here, the sixth day. We know this at the first part of chapter 2, if you were to read all of this, it's going to tell you that on the seventh day, the Lord rested. And He didn't rest because He had to. It's not like the Lord was worn out. He did it as an example of us showing us that we too need to rest. But when we pick back up in 15 of chapter 2, this is the microscopic view. This is looking at it in detail. Verse 15 says, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden. We know that one told us that he created man in his own image, both male and female. But here's the detailed account. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said in verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Or some of your Bibles say a helper suitable for him. Either way, underline the word suitable. He goes on and he says in verse 19, Now the, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. Yes, we just saw that. We saw the detailed account of that. And he brought them to the, the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, 
A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Very important part there. Before sin entered in, there was no shame. They were comfortable just the way that God had made them with just the conditions that God had placed them in. So we look at this, and what I want to do before we get to the application of this, because I assure you we're going to get to some application. I'm one of the preachers who still believes that if we just teach it and we don't teach how to apply it, we really didn't teach anything. We just taught. But what I want to do is I want to look at what we've just seen from these two passages of Scripture which are so closely related here so that we can draw the information that we need to draw so that we can understand what God really intends for a family to look like. What is it supposed to be? Now, is it okay? Isn't it prudent? Isn't it probably wise for us this morning to go back to the author of the family to ask Him, hey Lord, since You designed all this, what do You say about the family? You know, we don't ask that question enough in society these days. Everybody's arguing over what they think about this and what they think about that. What do you think about things, God? How can we know? We can go to His Word and we can find out what His intentions were and why He did what He did. And we seek very quickly when we go back to the Scriptures that the author of the original family was God Himself. God Himself. This was not man's idea. Notice the story didn't go like this. The story didn't go like Adam was there naming all the animals and a good-looking woman walked by and he said, Hey Eve, can I get your digits? He didn't say that. In fact, he knew nothing else. He knew God and he was content in his relationship to God. And he knew that God and His authority had brought him animals to name. And God said, name them. And he knew that God told him, I've given you all these plants and all these trees, but there's one you don't need to eat from. And he respected God for that. And he submitted to God. And he knew. And we really don't know how much time went by as he was obedient to not eating of that fruit until temptation got the best of him. But at this moment in time, here we are. And the author of the family is laying everything out according to his sovereign will. We see this when we look at the author of the original family. It is our sovereign triune God who instituted the family. He he makes no bones about this. In in chapter 1, verse 26, when he starts this, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, either you believe in pluralism, that there are many gods, which is false, or when you read this, you click all of a sudden and say, this is obviously the first reference to the Trinity that we see in Scripture. It is God represented in plural form. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You say, what do you mean plural form? It says God, and then it says us. It says God, and it looks singular, but then it says us, and that looks plural. Here's the interesting thing about God in that verse. In that verse, the word Elohim in the Hebrew is used, which is the plural form of El, and he's speaking in the plural. And we know this from other scriptures that we know that not only was God the Father there at creation, but he was accompanied by God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. You say, you mean Jesus was at creation? Yes, John tells us that He was. In John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, we know 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that verse 3 says, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And so we can rest in the fact that when we look at this passage in Genesis chapter 1, that it is a triune God creating mankind and creating the world as we know it. Our sovereign triune God, Elohim, His Old Testament Hebrew name. On the sixth day, we see Him create the family. Why? Why did He do this? I'll tell you why. We see it very very clearly as we read these texts. We see it was because of His compassion. We not only see our sovereign triune God establishing the family and authoring the family, we see... His compassion that led Him to do this. 
You say, well, I don't know if I see that. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. Verse 18 of chapter 2, the Lord, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. That's God's compassion. Understand, when, he was, when we read the end of the creation there in chapter 1, it says, and it was very good. God looked at all that He made and said, it was very good, except for this. I'm not done with what I'm going to do with Adam. I'm going to create out of him a suitable helper so that for my glory the family will be born. And for generation after generation after generation, they will tell stories to bring me glory. So he, through his compassion, saw that there was no suitable helper for Adam. And then God exercised his power. We see our powerful God as the author of the original family. So we see our sovereign triune God, our compassionate God, and then our all-powerful God. You say, all-powerful? Yeah, look what he did. Verses 21 and 22. We just read, read the account. We'll read it again. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Who caused it? The Lord God. He caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. Who did it? Huh? Adam didn't offer his rib up in exchange for a woman. No, God took it. And we know this. That rib is probably an inaccurate translation. If you really get down to it, it means it took a, he took a piece of his side. He took his flesh, and he took his flesh. Why? Because we read after this that she's bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. So he removed the rib along with some flesh. So he took a whole section of his side out. It says, and then he closed it up where the flesh was. Verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. We see here some supernatural things going on. The Lord put him in a trance. What do we see in creation? The first anesthesiologist here was God. That's a hard word for me to say, anesthesiologist. But the first one that we ever see in all of creation is God. He says, okay, I'm going to put him under. Why? He has enough compassion not to put Adam through the pain of removing his side. And he put him under. And then not only did he put him under, when he was under, he took something from him. But here's what God did. We see that in that passage. He supernaturally then came back and healed Adam of the wound that was there. Aren't you thankful that our God is a healer? And he took that flesh that he took out and that bone that he removed. And he created for Adam a suitable helper. A suitable helper based on his compassion where he noticed that there was no suitable Helper. All the other animals that he had created had a mate. All of them had someone of the opposite sex so that they could reproduce and so that they could live life together. But Adam did not. And God said, I'm going to take care of this. And through his almighty power, he supernaturally took care of this. I know it's been a long time since we revisited the origin of the family. Right? To talk about it in our society is just to be the mockery of all the people who laugh at you, who say you still believe in that. Oh yes, I do still believe in that. And I believe in it more and more and more as I practice the Word of God in my family and I see God faithful to all that He has taught and all that He has promised. And so we see the author of the original family was God Himself. This was not man's idea. And so what we must do as men, we must recognize who the author of the family is. Why? For the second point, because whoever the author is, isn't that the ultimate authority over something? Huh? If I was to write a paper, and I was to cite someone who was the author of another book, or if I was to use a phrase that they were using, or a quote that they made, I have to cite them in that, or it's plagiarism, isn't it? Because the author is the authority. So when I quote someone using their words, I have to say I took them from so-and-so. If I was to quote Charles Spurgeon today, I don't want to ever make it sound like I said something that was Charles Spurgeon, so I'll look cool. I have to say, that was Charles Spurgeon who said In fact, I read it in the volumes of sermons that I have of his. And I quoted it, and I let you know that that came from him. Why? Because he's the author of that thought. And so he is the authority, and we know this, most things that he said, he said under the authority of God, but he is the authority to which I would cite his quotation. 
That's when we look at the author of the original family, we ought to also respect the authority behind his authorship. The family was designed so that God could rule and reign as their authority. Before sin entered in, that's how it worked. There was no question. You know what Adam and Eve found themselves doing? Exactly what God told them to do. We have an account of it. They were living there. Eating of the land. Doing as they were to do. Fellowshipping with God as He desired. And then we know this. When sin came in, when sin came in, everything got thrown into chaos. But before then, we can see the original design. Why? Because the authority lets us see that. The authority of the family, just as he was the author of the family, is God Himself. Did you know this, husbands? You're not the authority in your home. Though you are an authority in your home. You are an authority directly under the authority of God. Even more so, we see here the authority of God's Word. We see God give His Word to Adam in many instances in his life, but we see here in 28 and 30 that He told him. He said, what? You are to... Have dominion over all of the plants and over all of the animals. I'll give you everything, but don't eat of that one plant. Right? That one thing. God had instructions in His Word for Adam. Boy, if Adam would have heeded the words of God. But Adam ultimately heeded the words of his wife. Adam ultimately ultimately heeded the deception that she had received from that outside source, the serpent who came and who brought sin upon man. And so as we look at this, I want you to see the original design was that God's Word was the authority. Rule and reign and have dominion over all these things that I've given you dominion over. In fact, Adam, I'm going to give you the authority. I don't have to give you the authority to do this. I'm going to give you the authority to name them all. To say, call them what you want to call them. To distinguish one from the other. I'm going to give you that right. God didn't have to give him that authority. Aren't you thankful that God, even though he doesn't have to give us authority, he does sometimes? I know in the home, as I said, you are not the authority in your home. You are an authority. An authority directly under God. He is the authority. He is sovereign. You are not. So always remember that as the leader of your home, men. It is by his word that we rule our home. His Word is our authority. And His authority should mean something to us. When we see that God gives a command, when we see that God gives instruction, whether by His Word or through His Spirit living in us, we ought to follow His commands, His Word. So we see the authority in the original family, His authoritative Word, but His authoritative position, His supremacy. You know, his supremacy and His Lordship was never questioned by Adam. It was never questioned by Eve. They knew. right? There were first-hand accounts of the supremacy and Lordship of God over all things. Now, we know this. We know that the deceiver came in with Eve and he got her to question God's Word and what He said and He twisted and He tilted it so that she would believe something that she wasn't supposed to believe and follow after something she wasn't supposed to follow after. But we know that they never ceased to respect and to recognize His authority as supreme and sovereign Lord of all. We know this. As soon as they fell, they ran and hid from them. Why? Because they feared the judgment that was to come. They recognized His authoritative position. The original family never strayed from that. They knew who he was. They knew what he was capable of doing. Can you imagine Adam questioning the power of God? No, he personally received a wife from his side and he probably had a scar where he had healed all the days of his life to remember just how powerful his God truly is. Don't you have stories to confirm that in your life? How powerful your God truly is. The original family, they had no issue with recognizing God's authoritative word, his authoritative position, or his authoritative power. They knew that he was sovereign over all things, that he was in complete control, and he was the one true God. All powerful, almighty, all knowing. 
that there is nothing that would ever thwart His will or His plan. So when we look at the original family, we have to see what was their authority. God. His Word. His position. His power. Oh, what would happen in the American family if we got back to those principles? God's Word, God's position, and God's power as authorities in our home. There would be a revival. I'll tell you this. There would be a revival break out in this country. I believe this right now. If just these people under the sound of my voice right now determined in their life that they were going to submit to the original authority of the family today in their life, there would be a revival in your home. You would see God do things that you could never imagine if you trusted Him with this. So we see the author of the original family, the authority in the original family. And then we see the anatomy of the original family. What was God's design? How's it supposed to be, right? Because we're really confused about it nowadays. Huh? We think it's okay to live together and fornicate and to bear children outside of wedlock. We think that it's okay for a man and a man to call themselves married. And let me just tell you, you're not. Because God doesn't recognize that marriage and He's the author and He's the authority over marriage. He doesn't recognize that. He didn't create a man for a man, nor did He create a woman for a woman. You say, well, pastor, that might offend some. I don't care if that offends you. I'm not speaking for me. I'm speaking for God and His truth today. If you're offended by that, take it up with the Creator. He is the one who designed this. And So as we look at the anatomy of the original family, His design, it's very obvious, isn't it? A man. A man who needed help. <laughs> That's all of us men. Huh? Don't we need help? Let me tell you guys, if you have a good wife, thank God for her. He created her specifically for you. And He created you specifically for her so that you guys can do life together and bring God glory. When you look at your wife and you don't understand her, it's because she's having to compensate for your deficiency. You don't understand that because you don't have that. That's why God put her in your life. And the same goes with your husband. And so we see how he created this. He looked in his compassion and he saw a man without a suitable helper. And he made him one. People ask me, they say, you're so old-fashioned, you still believe that there is a specific person made for people who are supposed to get married? Now let me just say this. Sometimes it's God's will that you not get married. Don't. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it's better for you not to marry. You can keep from burning in your lust. He actually says don't get married. This is going to bring a lot of trials in your life. And all the married people said, Amen. But for those of you who feel led by God to get married, He brings that specific person in your life. And let me say this, young people. Please pay attention to me. Wait for that person. Don't try to force this just because everybody else in your, in your people group has a, a, a mate or a, a good close friend that they might marry. Listen, don't run after that. Because I believe this. I believe God still makes specific people for, for their spouse. And when you know it, you know it. I can tell you this. When I was 14 years old, I told this dark-headed girl I was going to marry her. I know she thought I was crazy as a loon. She still thinks I'm crazy as a loon. Some 30-something years later. That's right, I said 30-something. I know she looks 25. That would make me 22. Or something like that. But they ask me all the time, do you still believe that God makes specific people for their spouse? I say 100%. I believe that He did it in eternity past. I believe that this is all already worked out, all figured out. It's going to happen according to His will and His plan. So if you have a good one, understand where she came from. Understood where He came from. And the anatomy of the family was that. A man who needed help. I need help. And God gave me a helper. Adam needed help. And she has to remind herself of that all the time. He needs help. God did the same thing for Adam when He gave him His helper. She was suitable. You know what that meant? She was just right. She was perfect. Perfect, created by God absolutely for Adam. And in fact, at this time, they were perfect. Sin had not entered in. Adam's the only one who can make a claim that he had a solid ten in his life. She was. 
created specifically by God, suitable for him. And so we see that man needed help. So we see a man in the anatomy of the original family, and then we see a woman. Note to self, you didn't see another man mentioned there. Did you know there was no other man? Because out of man was made woman. And that's God's design and anatomy for the family. He made a woman who was a suitable helper for the man. And He made a man for a woman so that they could devote themselves to each other and devote themselves to serving the Lord all the days of their life. And I want to tell you this, and I hope I don't hurt your feelings, but I just want to tell you the truth. Anything that differs from that is not God's design. Anything that differs from a man who is specifically created for a woman who enters into a marriage covenant between the man, the woman, and God for their whole life to serve God together and to bring glory to God with their existence, anything other than that is outside of the design of the original family. Would you agree? Yeah, we see it in black and white. In fact, when you look at it, there's really no argument. And that's what makes me say, what are we all arguing about? Two men cannot have a family. It's not a family. Two men can't be married. It's not a marriage. Two women can't have a family. It's not a family. Two women can't be married. It's not a marriage. Anything that doesn't include God, the author and the authority of a marriage and a family, is not godly. Period. Stop trying to make it work. It won't work. It's sin. It will always be sin. And I'll say this. It doesn't make it any greater than any other sin. That's what people want to say. Well, you're saying that that's worse than any other sin? I'll say it plainly. It's not worse than any other sin, but it's still sin. See it as such. And repent of your sin before it is everlasting too late. We see the anatomy of the family. One man, one woman, devoted to their God and to each other for life. Pretty simple, isn't it? But my, how come it's become so complicated? How come it has become so complicated? Let's continue to look. I believe it's because we have forgotten our assignment as a family. We have forgotten how to teach young men to be grown men. Young ladies to be grown ladies. Young men to be godly men. Young women to be godly women. We have forgotten to teach that God is the center of everything that we do. That He is the lifeline that runs through the middle of our family. He is the center of our home. We have an assignment. Here's the assignment. He didn't just say, here's Adam, here's Eve. Y'all go do what you want to do. He didn't say it like that, did He? Verse 28 of chapter 1, as we toggle back to 1, He said, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Be fruitful and increase in number. Let's talk about being fruitful first. God was instructing them. Many people interpret this that it is to be fruitful and multiply. That that means multiply and multiply. Well, that wouldn't make any sense, would it? We often forget over. We often jump over the word fruitful to get to the multiply part. Be fruitful. What is that talking about? How about being fruitful unto God? Walking in the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and long-suffering. That would be fruitful unto God. That would be the fruit of the Spirit established and then displayed in the believers by the hand of God. And so he's saying here, be fruitful, not just in your relationship to God, but in your relationship to your spouse, your relationship to your children. We talked last week about the productivity in the home, that fruitful vine. He's, he's reiterating that, or actually he reiterated it then. He's actually instituting it here. He's saying be fruitful. Be productive. And if you're being productive and your mind is on God, guess what? You're going to be productive for God in the life of your marriage, in the life of your home, in the life of your family. You're going to be productive. So he says be fruitful and multiply. Right? Now, that's procreation, isn't it? Guess what? Are you listening? That's why you're all here. That's why you are all here. Now, I want to fast forward to 2021 and tell you this. That a man and a man cannot reproduce. To be as mature as I can be in saying this, they're not equipped to. A female and a female cannot reproduce. Not naturally, according to the way that God designed it. 
Now they can in their depraved minds conjure up all kinds of wicked things. But they cannot have intercourse and then produce. A male and a male can't. A male and a female can't. But did you know this? Shockingly, a male and a female are specifically designed in their anatomy to reproduce. Did you know this? Scientifically, since science loves to do everything except for just rest in the truth of the Word of God, let me speak a little science to you. That without sperm fertilizing an egg, the male having the sperm, the female having the egg, you cannot reproduce. God didn't mess up when He made male with sperm and woman with egg. He did it specifically by His design. Why? So that they could have children. We've all taken biology to some degree. The sperm fertilizes the egg. The genetic makeup of both through the transfer of blood happens. That blood covenant of you two becoming one with each other and one with God results in God blessing you with a child. And what a miracle it is. When that baby comes out and he's got daddy's nose and mama's eyes, you say, man, this is crazy. How? How does he have something from both of us? Because the two became one, just like God said. And if the two can't become one and procreate like God said, they are not a right relationship in the eyes of God. It's high time the church stand on the Word of God about this. People say, well, what are you going to do, Pastor, when they force you to do same-sex marriages? I'm sorry. I don't do any kind of marriages anymore. But I'll give you the number to the Justice of the Peace. He's a good friend of mine. He'll help you out. They're not going to force me to recognize something that's not godly. Not going to do it. Period. End of discussion. It's not going to happen. So what if they take you to jail? They took Paul to jail. I guess there'll be converts in the East Montgomery County Jail because I'm going to preach Jesus while I'm there. So we look at this and we see the truth of the family. What is the assignment? Here it is. Be productive. Co-create. Have children. Enjoy them together. Worship the Lord together. Those of you who are here with your families today worshiping the Lord, listen, I'm preaching to the choir. I know that. That's where you're supposed to be. I've got a milk crate up in my camp from like 1954 or 56 or something like that. And on this milk crate that they sold in stores, milk carton, excuse me, not crates. It's a big paper carton. On the back of it is a picture of a church with a beautiful steeple and there's like a, a drawing, a rendering of probably like a 1950 Buick or something out there. And there's this sweet little family. Mom, and Dad, and the two little kids. And they're walking up to the church house. And you know what it says at the bottom? Take your family to church. On a product that somebody sold in stores. Can you imagine that in such a short time, we don't even know what the family's supposed to look like? We have an assignment. Be productive. Procreate. And then to persevere in unity. He said that the two will become one. And they will leave their mother and father. That's why he says these things. They will leave their mother and father and they will cleave to one another and they will produce offspring. They will have a family and a home. I told you, he is the author and the authority of the home. He designed the anatomy and he's given the assignment. And the assignment is this. He says in, in verse 24 of chapter 2, he gives them the assignment. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And they will become one flesh. Now, without getting too descriptive for you there, I want you to understand that God is picturing for you the consummation of your wedding vow. Well, I know we live in a society where we want to test drive everything before we buy it and take it home. God doesn't give you room to do that in your marriage covenant. He says, commit yourself to Him. Commit yourself to this bride and this groom that I have given you, that I have put together. And then, and only then, do the two become one flesh when they enter into that covenantal relationship of intercourse. You say, are you really serious? Is that what God's saying? That's absolutely what He's saying there. He made you one in spirit, and in that act of marriage, you are becoming one in flesh. And He says, just as 
Eve came from Adam. They are one in flesh, so will you be. And you'll leave your mother and father and you will cleave to your wife. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. What a great relationship. Unity and harmony and no shame. Huh? You, you do it right. That's the way it's going to work. Unity, harmony, no shame. But he's talking about the assignment of the original family, saying be productive, procreate, but persevere in unity. And there's reasons why he tells us this. One of those reasons is this. For the purpose of bringing God glory through our lives and through the generations that follow. How many of you understand the chief unto man? The chief end of man is what? To bring God glory. Bring God glory. That is why we exist. That's why when sin entered in, Jesus came to redeem sinful men so that they can then in turn bring God glory. The chief end of man is to bring God glory. So the beginning of man was to bring God glory. When he gave him a wife, it was to bring God glory. When he blessed him with children, it was to bring God glory. Everything that we are and everything that we do is to bring God glory. Now we know this was unhindered until sin entered in. And sin is here because Satan desired to steal God's glory. He's still desiring to do that. So we are to persevere in unity to bring God glory in our marriage relationships and in our families. What does that look like? Matthew chapter 19, Jesus talks about this. And what's funny is He's going to actually reference Genesis. Turn over there if you would in your Bible. Matthew chapter 19. few more scriptures and then I'll get to the application because I want I know you're sitting there and you're going well, what do we do with this what do we do with this information I'm glad God was the author and I'm glad he's the authority and I'm glad he showed us the anatomy and he gave us an assignment what do we do with it we're going to talk about that Matthew chapter 19 verse 4 Jesus says haven't you read they were wanting to know about divorce hey can we get a divorce if we want one haven't you read he replied that at the beginning where Let's go back to Genesis, right? Jesus goes directly back to Genesis. Haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female? Made them what? Male and female. Uh, Jesus still has the same idea about marriage that He did at creation. Made them male and female. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus is talking about divorce here because divorce is going to be a common problem that selfish men face, right? Because they don't get their way. Or selfish women, when they don't get their way. Did you know this? The enemy is over 50% successful in the church at destroying families through divorce. I talk to young couples all the time prior to their marriage. I counsel them in four different sessions. In one of those sessions, I'm going to tell them this there's a 50-50 chance that you're not going to make it. There's a 100% chance that you won't make it if you don't center your life and your family around the Lord Jesus Christ. And they look at me like I gave them the worst news ever. And I say, wait a second, that's just statistically. That even in the church, the divorce rate is equal to that of the world. Why? Because people won't go back and, and uncover the origin of the family and talk about it. And talk about it boldly and say we've got things messed up and we need those things to be fixed. And we can't fix them on our own, but we've got to cry out to God so He can help us fix them. I promise you here, when sin came in, marriage was broken, just like yours. But Jesus, the cure for sin, can fix your broken marriage even today. This very moment, in this very service, He can change the way things are for you. You have an assignment. Your assignment is to persevere in unity with your spouse. Why? Go to, go to Malachi. Just flip back from Matthew a few books. Well, one book, actually. You'll get to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. And then you'll look in chapter 2. Here in Malachi chapter 2, God through the prophet is giving us some instructions. He's sending a prophecy to Judah about their unfaithfulness. He says another thing you do. Verse 13, you flood the Lord's altars with tears. You weep and wail because He no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. He's saying that you're frustrated and you're crying because the Lord doesn't receive your offerings. Well, I'll tell you why. You ask, why? 
It's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. He says, the reason that God is not honoring your offerings is because you have violated God's command. Because you have broken faith with her. Right? Watch what he says. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. That word covenant, a very important word. Covenant is what is going to keep you married couples together. When life looks like this, covenant looks like this. It's steadfast. Why? Because it rests in God and His promises and His strength. He goes on and he says in 15, Has not the Lord made them one? Well, sure He has. He said He did, didn't He? In flesh and spirit, they are His. And why one? Why did He make them one? What is this whole marriage family thing all about? Because He was seeking godly offspring. Well, I don't want to work things out just for the kids. You better. The next generation is counting on you to trust God. To teach you how to forgive. To show you how a marriage can be healed. To trust in His power to do so. To work out your division. To work out those those separations and ideologies. To fix all that for you. Yeah, you do it for the next generation. Did you know the family was designed and He assigned them to produce godly offspring? He's teaching him here this is the purpose. So guard yourself in the Spirit. And do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Why? God doesn't hide anything. Aren't you glad that He doesn't hide anything from us about how He feels about things? He says this, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence. He, he equates divorce with murder and violence. He's saying, I hate Divorce. Why? Because God put two together. And when He put two together, they became one flesh. And man has crept in and is trying to divide them. Whether that be the selfishness of the couple that we're talking about or the influence of the outsiders who tell them, you don't need to stay with Him just because of those kids. How many of you were raised in a divorced family? Raise your hand. Raise them up high. Let me ask you this. Keep them up. I'm one of you. Is it still affecting you even as an adult? Why? Because God put it in motion that it wasn't supposed to happen and man tries to do it their own way. Out of their own selfishness and out of their own sin, they make decisions not caring about the next generation. Malachi just said God's not receiving your offering, your worship. He's not receiving any of that because you've broken faith with the wife of your youth and he hates divorce. And why did he put them together? He put them together so that they would produce godly offspring. You have an assignment, families. Your family's not, and your assignment for your family is not to throw in the towel at the first sign of having to work through difficulties. How many of you here have worked through difficulties in your family and God brought you through it and you're thankful that you trusted Him because divorce was the other option? Let me tell you something. Your kids are going to benefit from that because you persevered in your faith and you persevered in your trust and you persevered in the Word of God and the origin of the family that God instituted and ordained by His sovereign power. He's given us assignments. That assignment is to do His will and to bring Him glory. So we conclude with this. And I'll get you out of here. Here's the application. The application is going to come in the form of some questions. And I'll go ahead and tell you this. These questions are designed to make you think. These questions are designed for the Holy Spirit to use to bring conviction upon your heart based on what we've looked at today. We've looked at it. The author, God Himself, the authority in the family, God Himself, the anatomy of the family, God's design, a man, a woman, children being raised in a godly fashion to bring God glory, to bring others to Christ. And then the assignment that we have to stay together, to not forsake unity in the Lord and unity in ourselves for our own selfish desires. Because if we do, it's going to affect the next generation. And then it's going to affect the next generation. And then it's going to affect the next generation. And I've already said this in the first message in this series. I believe all the problems in America that we are seeing right now come because of a breakdown in the Christian home. And I believe God's desire is to rescue homes today. 
His desire is to rescue homes today. And will you be bold enough and brave enough to ask yourself these questions as we read them together? Have you recognized, number one, the author of the family personally? Have you personally surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you personally trusted in His sacrifice on the cross and that alone to justify you before a holy God? Because I'm here to tell you right now, you will never have a godly home until Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. You say, well, what if the husband's saved and the wife is saved? You're unequally yoked. Light and dark cannot coexist. There's always going to be problems. If you're a husband here today and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Surrender to Jesus today. If you're a wife here and you've not yet submitted your life to Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Stop playing around. You know you're lost. God knows you're lost. And He desires to save you if the Spirit is drawing you today. Throw your hands up and surrender to His Lordship this very hour. Because until you do, you'll never see the benefits of a godly family. God's not center of your family. He's not even center of your life. As the individual goes, so goes the family. So have you recognized the author of the family personally? Do you know Him Personally, are you still cut off and alienated from God because of your sin? Has Jesus washed you? Has He cleansed you? Today He will. I promise you He is faithful to do what He says. That for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today if the Spirit prompts you to call on the name of the Lord, giving you faith to trust in Him and opening your eyes to the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, He will save you this very day. Your life will never ever be the same, nor will your eternity. What about the next question? Maybe you are a believer. You say, yeah, no, I know I'm saved. I hope you're right. I hope you're basing salvation on the Word of God and not what somebody else taught you in error. Yeah, I know I'm saved. Well, are you respecting God's authority in your family? Are you respecting God's authority in your family? Is His Word an authority? Do you base every decision that you make on what His Word says? For you, your wife, your husband, your children? Is His Word the authority in your family? Because don't dare say that God is an authority in your family if His Word is not an authority. Because if He's the authority, His Word will be the authority to which you live. How about His position of authority? Do you see God as that position of authority? Lordship over your home? Yeah, we talked about lordship over our life, but what about lordship over our home? Oh yeah, I can be as saved as saved can be. But is He Lord over my home? Is everything that we do, is every motivation that we have centered around the Gospel message? Is it centered around the Kingdom of God? Is it centered around the glory of God? Is it centered around the blessing of God? Is it centered on God? Is He the authority in your home? Is He sovereign ruler of every aspect of it? Because some of you know Him as personal Savior. Maybe today you need to get on your face with your wife and you need to claim Him as personal Lord of your home. Lord, I know individually You're our Lord, but man, we don't promote You. We don't preach You. We don't proclaim You. We don't live for You in our home. And starting today, we need the power of Your Spirit that we would live for You in our home, bringing You glory through the salvation that You've brought to us. Is He an authority in your home? Dads, are you listening? The Word of God can't be an authority in your home if you don't know it. Quiet. The Word of God cannot be an authority in your home if you don't know what the Word of God says about life and about your home. Starting right here with the family. Are you studying His Word and trusting in it so that you can lead under His authority, lead your family into the truths of the Word of God? Are you respecting God's authority in your family? Number three, does your family look like the anatomy that God designed? Does it look like this? One man, one woman, in a covenant between themselves and God for a lifetime. I just got through talking to my marriage reach group this week, and you know what I told them? Divorce never needs to be a word that you use in your vocabulary when talking about you and your spouse and your relationship. It's not an option. There is no option of divorce. When you looked that person in the eye and you stood there in the presence of God and all those friends and family there, you covenanted with each other and you covenanted with God that no matter what, you were going to stick it out and you were going to work together for the glory of God. Are you doing that? 
Are you trying to throw the towel in constantly and live for your selfish desires? I'll tell you right now, marriage is not for selfish people. So if you're being controlled by self, what you need to do today is you need to get on your face and you need to repent of your selfishness because you can't be married and be selfish. It won't work. Does your family look like the anatomy that God designed? One man, one woman devoted to God and devoted to each other in everything that they do. You say, well, we fall short. We all will fall short. Is that your objective? Is that your objective? To be devoted to your spouse and devoted to God in everything that you do. It will be apparent. It will be apparent to God who knows all and it will be apparent to everyone else, I assure you. Number four, as we close, are you fulfilling God's assignment for the family? Are you? Are you trusting in these pagans that have your kids eight hours a day to teach them everything that they know? It's called school. You send them there. You say, well, you not believe in school? No, I, hey, if you want to send your kids to school, send your kids to school. My kids went to school. They were homeschooled for a while, then they went to public school. Once I believed they had a foundation that was strong enough to allow them to stand in the darkness, they were sent out as light and darkness. And they knew that. Hey, you're going into an environment that is totally different than anything you've ever been in. Peace be with you, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. And then we would talk about the Word of God and we would talk about the differences in someone who serves God and the differences in the ones that they were seeing on a day-to-day basis. We'd talk about the teachings that were coming out of teachers' mouths that were false and contrary to the Word of God. And we would correct those teachings. We didn't have to go beat the teacher up. My job. I said, no, that's craziness. And I'll tell you why it's craziness. Here's what the Word of God says. But are you teaching your, your children the Word of God teaching your children the assignment, what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to raise godly offspring. Did you miss that in Malachi? Isn't that what he said? Is that your objective? Or is your objective to get them the coolest tennis shoes that all the other kids have? Or the coolest clothes? Or, I know, you're trying to be their best friend because you want to be cool too. Can I help you? Cool is not godly. and Godly is not cool to the world. We need parents, we need moms, we need dads, husbands and wives who are going to make a stand against the system of the world and let their kids see it. No, you're not wearing that. That's what the world wears. You're going to wear clothes. and You're going to cover yourself up. No, you will not ever, you will not ever in my presence allow your mother or your sister to touch that door handle again. You better be the first one to the door and you better open it for that lady and you show respect to her because that is a gift that God gave me and you're going to help me cherish her. Are you raising your family like you're on assignment for God? All fair questions. All questions that need to be asked. Here's the only problem with that. I can answer for me, but I can't answer for you. I can answer for me when I've blown it because I have. And I can tell you this, when you blow it, there's always repercussions. But I also know this, when you blow it, there's always compassion and there's mercy and there's, there's forgiveness from God. And there's always the Holy Spirit who comes back and who heals and who points you in the right direction. I can tell you this, even if you mess up, and even if you have been messing up, today can be that new day, that fresh start, where you say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this, and I'm going to admit, and I'm going to repent of my sin, and I'm going to confess my sin of not doing what I need to do to my family. Whether that be the wife who's not doing what she needs to do, or the husband. In the next few weeks to come, we're going to clear those matters up even more as we look at the different specific roles and what we are to do in the marriage and the home. But ask yourself those questions today. Have you recognized the author of the family personally? Have you surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you respecting the authority of God, His sovereignty, His Word, His power? Does your family look like this? If it doesn't, You say, man, I'm in a fornicating relationship that I'm calling a family. Look, you can get married. All you got to do is talk to the right person. Go get a marriage license. Do some counseling. I promise you this. We'll make sure that you don't have to live with the guilt of fornication, that you can get married as soon as possible. So that you don't have to live with the guilt and the shame of sin. Maybe you're here today and you say, but I'm in a homosexual relationship and you act as if there's no hope. No, there is hope. I promise you. And the same Jesus that saved this heterosexual died to save every one of you who struggle with homosexuality. And today, He can wash you of your defilement. But let me tell you this, you better get honest and call it defilement. 
It is sin. It is offensive to a holy God. Just as my sin was when I came to Christ and I said, God, I've offended you. You are holy and I am wretched and I am unrighteous and you are righteous and I have no hope without you. And in that, He came to me and gave me hope in Christ. You better get honest. You better get honest with your sin. So are you fulfilling God's assignment for the family? Are you? Lord Jesus, we thank You for this Word. We thank You that it's true. We thank You for the family and the blessing that it is. God, I pray for revival in the homes, in this church, in the homes, in this community. As they go back to what Your Word teaches and forget about what the world teaches. And that they live out Your truth under the power of Your Spirit as Your servants bringing glory and honor and praise to You. Not only in their lives, but Lord, in the generations and the generations to come. Lord, I pray for the soul who's here today who does not know You as Savior and Lord, that through Your Spirit You would quicken them today. That You would quicken them, that You would give them new birth into a living hope, the Lord Jesus Christ, today that they would be saved, cleansed of all their sin. We thank You for what You're going to do. And we praise all that You've done. And we give You all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.